Hey, good morning, everyone. Those joining us online, good morning, good morning. Hey, if you don't have a lot to be thankful for this morning, just be glad we don't live in Buffalo. I mean, poor Buffalo. My son Colby, you know, he's an officer in the Navy stationed out in Norfolk. He texts me this morning. He goes, how are you doing? I go, it's 70 and sunny where we are in Rochester. Just, you know, you go west an hour and a half. And uh, Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever thought about the true meaning of hope? What, what, it, what hope truly means. Because when we tend to think of hope, we tend to think of hope this way. I hope it works out. You know, something like this. I hope the Bills can finally win a Super Bowl, right? Let's just pray for Buffalo right now. <laughs> okay. If you're a Buffalo Bills fan, you feel my pain. They're going to turn it around today. I got a good feeling. I got a good feeling. Um, we can tend to think of hope as wishful thinking. Right? We can tend to think of hope as maybe wishful thinking. I'm not sure, but I'm hopeful. It's, a, it's maybe a desire for a good outcome. But the meaning of hope in the Word of God is completely different. And I want to give you, just right off the bat this morning, I want to give you a biblical definition of hope. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's actually a confidence of what God promised will happen. We have a hope in the Word of God, through our relationship with God, that He is faithful, that He is faithful to His promises. I love Psalms 42.5. It's a great psalm. It says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Have you ever asked yourself that? Man, why am I just, why am I down? It's just a raw psalm. Why so disturbed within me? So in this psalm, they're, they're talking to themselves And they encourage themselves in the Lord. It says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I love this psalm because it's a psalm that is very honest. It's a psalm that says it's okay to talk to yourself. Have you ever talked to yourself out loud and then your spouse or ever someone in the room is like, who who are you talking to? I'm just talking to myself. Or you're driving in your car. And you're talking to yourself and someone pulls up next to you and they're looking and they don't, they don't see anybody else in your car. Listen, it's okay to talk to yourself. Where it gets a little crazy is when you start talking back. You start answering your own questions. So just, just don't do that. But, but what this psalm says, it's okay to talk to yourself, to encourage yourself, to put your hope in God. So biblical hope is this. It's a confidence that God is faithful to his word. We have this confidence It's not wishful thinking. It's not, I hope so. I hope this will work out. It's an assurance. It's a confidence that God is faithful to his word. I love the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So the word assurance here is not, it's not wishy-washy faith. It's not, I hope this will work out. It's a confidence in what is to come. It's a confidence in what is to come. Now, when I was a senior in high school, we had our senior year, and you could put some quote under your senior picture. And what I put was a a song written by a a favorite Christian artist, and the title of the song was, The Best is Yet to Come. And the song talked about how the best is yet to come because we know Christ is going to come back. The best is yet to come for those that are, are faithful followers of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, we have heaven to look forward to, to forever be with our Savior. The best is yet to come. Amen? So the best isn't here. The best is yet to come. And our best is yet 
to come. Our hope is not based in this wishful thinking or this blind type of faith. But it's in a God who has shown himself to be faithful. Faithful to his word and faithful to you and I through his son Jesus. So our faith is built upon a savior who has conquered the grave for you and I. Now, Jesus was realistic with, with, with his disciples. And he's realistic with you and I here today. How many know that not everything is going to be hunky-dory in the world that we live in today, right? There's going to be hardships. And Jesus was honest with his disciples. He was realistic about the hardships that they would face here on this earth. But he gave them a hope that was beyond what they faced in the world that they saw. This is the hope that God desires to give to us today. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I've said these things to you. Meaning Jesus was realistic with them. Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. And they were worried and they were fearful on where Jesus was going to go. Jesus knew that he had to go to the cross to die for our sins. He says, I told you these things. I was realistic with you. But he says that in me, you may have peace. Not peace in the world, but peace in Christ. Knowing that he will work all things out. In this world, you'll have what? A wonderful life, and everything's going to work out perfect for you, right? No, in this world, you will have tribulation, you will have hardship, but he says, but take heart, have hope. I've overcome this world for you. So how do we not lose hope when things go wrong in our lives? That's the question. How do we not lose hope when things go wrong in our lives? Well, we've been taking this deep dive into the Old Testament book of Ruth. We are in week nine of a four chapter book of the book of Ruth. And we are taking a deep dive in the Old Testament book of Ruth deals with these exact questions. And Ruth was a woman just like you and I, but she faced some very devastating things in her life. The book of Ruth was written some 3000 years ago, yet it is as relevant today as it was 3000 years ago. And the first chapter of Ruth shows how discouraging her life was. Ruth loses her husband. She has no children. She was left destitute. It was just a hopeless situation. Even her mother-in-law, Naomi, lost her husband, lost her two sons. And Naomi has no other option but to return to her homeland and to return to her town in Bethlehem. She's living in Moab. And the reason why Naomi and her husband moved to Moab to begin was there was a famine in Bethlehem. And this is where Naomi's two sons meet Ruth and Orpah. They meet these two Moabite women and they marry there. Now they've all lost their husbands and they're at this crossroad. And Naomi says, I'm going back because I heard that there's food in Bethlehem and I've got to go back to my hometown and my people. But for you two, you can go back. Go back to to your land. Go back to Moab. Get husbands. Raise a family. Go back to your people. And so as they depart, they cry and Orpah goes back. But Ruth stays. Ruth actually, as we read in the word of God, clings to Naomi. And she says to Naomi, look, where where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. And she clings to her. No matter how much Naomi tries to discourage her, she is not leaving and she follows her. And basically Naomi is saying to her, listen, the road that I'm going down has no prospect. It's pretty hopeless. In fact, when, when Naomi comes into Bethlehem and people see her again, she says, don't call me. Don't call me. Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. She was bitter. Life beat her up. It wasn't that she turned her back on God. She was just beat up. She, had this, she was hopeless. She felt like there was no prospects for her. But she goes back to her homeland, and Ruth follows her. 
And as they come in to Bethlehem, it's during the harvest. And, and Ruth says, I will gather grain for you and I so we can eat. And the wonderful thing about a good landowner, they would leave the edges of their field unharvested so that those who were destitute or needed food could glean the edges of the harvest field so they could get food for themselves. And what begins to happen as we unfold this story is little bit by little bit, God begins to reveal his plan to Naomi and Ruth. And little bit by little bit, hope begins to come into their lives. And they begin to see God's plan unfold right before them as they take steps of faith towards God. Now, Ruth maybe doesn't understand all this, but she just simply trusts. She trusts the words of Naomi and Naomi's God. She may not understand everything, but she's taking the steps of faith. And people are taking notice of Ruth and her character and her faithfulness. Now, for Ruth, because she was a Moabite, should have been considered an enemy of Israel, should have been considered an outcast as she went back into Israel. But she's seen of noble character. And she follows God and his plan. And she's faithful to serve her mother-in-law. So she's out in the fields and she's gleaning and she's getting food. And she happens to be in a field of a relative of Naomi. Now, Naomi, all of a sudden she perks up because she hears the name Boaz and she knows that he is a relative and he could be a kingsman redeemer. Now, this was a law in Leviticus 25 that a redeemer was a male relative who could have the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in need, destitute, or in danger. So Naomi knows this, and she goes, Boaz could be our redeemer, our family redeemer. The word redeemer means one who delivers or rescues. They could redeem their property or redeem a person. It was a safety net. And so now for Naomi, the wheels are starting to turn for her, and she's realizing Boaz could be the key to give them hope once again, to restore them, and to be married unto, unto Ruth. So Naomi understands this. She understands that he's a relative, he could be a redeemer. And so what she does is she tells Ruth to initiate this relationship because under the law of Moses, a woman could ask a kingsman redeemer for marriage. So this is what she tells her to do. She goes, this is what I want you to do. After everybody who's harvesting, working for the day, um, Boaz is going to go lay down on the threshing floor. He's going to go to sleep. And what I want you to do at night, I want you to go, and I want you to go lay at his feet. What? You know, you would think, what is she asking her to do? But what, what Ruth does is she listens to Naomi, doesn't question her. She dresses up the word of God tells us, and she goes and lays at his feet. Now, there is nothing wrong going on here. There's nothing immoral going on here. In fact, what she was doing is she was asking Boaz's hand in marriage. And so she lays at his feet. Boaz wakes up and goes, who is this woman at my feet? And he realized it's Ruth. And he realized what's going on. And they begin to have a discussion. He says, I will be your kingsman redeemer. Promises this to her. He goes, however, there's a glitch. There actually is a relative who's actually closer than me. And there was, oh man, they're not going to get together. I hate watching movies like that, right? And so they may not get together. And all of a sudden he says, I have to do what is right. And what Boaz says, he does what is right according to God's word. And so he goes, I will talk to this closer redeemer, but if he can't redeem you, I 
will. This is where we pick up the story in Ruth chapter 4. So let's see what happens. Here's what I love about Ruth chapter 4. What we begin to see is God's unfolding plan right before our very eyes. See, we didn't see, you may not see it in chapter 1 or chapter 2, and maybe Ruth and Naomi didn't see it, but now they're starting to see God's plan unfold right before their very eyes. So let's pick up Ruth chapter 4, and let's look at verses 1 through 7 and and see what happens. So it says this. It says, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then... The family redeemer, he had mentioned, came by. So Boaz called out to him. He says, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as a witness. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi, who came back from Moab, and she is selling the land that belongs to her relative Elimelech. And I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. And if you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away, because I am the next in line to redeem it after you. Sounds like a good deal, right? Who wouldn't want that? So the man's man's like, oh, this sounds good, right? All of a sudden, the man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Not so fast, big fellow. So let's see what happens. Then Boaz told, of course... Your purchase of the land of Naomi also requires you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow, that she can have children who can carry on her husband's name and keep the land in her family. Well, the man then says, then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Now, in those days, it was custom in Israel for everyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal, hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. Amen to God's word. So let's see what's going on here. Let's see what's going on here. This is really interesting. What Boaz does is Boaz knows that this person is a closer relative. So Boaz waits at the city gate until the closer relative came by. Now, what's the purpose of waiting at the city gate? Well, here's the purpose. The city gate served as a governmental place where official transactions could be witnessed. So he gets 10 people. It's a busy place. People are witnessing what is going on and the transaction that's happening so it could be legitimized. Now, I want you to notice the character of Boaz. He does the right thing. He doesn't cut corners. He doesn't do anything shady. He does everything up front. This shows the character of the type of man that he was. Boaz is a man of integrity. He does the right thing that honors the law. And most importantly, he honors God in the way he lives his life. See, the other man is ready to get the land, but doesn't want the marriage. It's interesting when you contrast between these two men, the difference of these two men. The closest relative is ready to swap sandals. He's ready. He's got his sandal off. He's like, oh, I'll get the land. Sure, I'll redeem land. He's got his sandal off. He's ready to make the exchange. And then Boaz says, not so fast. A marriage is involved. And the man doesn't want the marriage for fear would hurt his current children's inheritance. So he gives the rights to Boaz. And so they seal the deal by the exchange of a sandal. It's, it's a, it's, it's a modern day handshake. Those of you that are old like me, you remember when you shook someone's hand? When you shook someone's hand, what did that mean? It was your 
word, right? It was your word, right? If you ever watch American Pickers and they make a deal on something, what do they always do? They always shake hands. There's the deal. Now you need a 50-page contract to sign your life away. If you do anything, right? Remember one time we went whitewater rafting in the Adirondacks? The contract that we had to sign that they would not be liable if we died in this white whitewater rafting accident. It was like I, I, I would need uh, 10 hours just to read through the contract, right? But if you shook someone's hand, it meant your word. So this is what's going on here. If you removed your sandal and you had witnesses, this meant that the transaction was legal. And so the exchange of of sandal was witnessed by other people. And this was a meaningful gesture. Think about it for a moment with a wedding, with your wedding vows. You, You exchange these words of your vows, right, And then the couple exchanges something after their wedding vows. They exchange wedding rings, right? What's the the purpose of the wedding ring? Well, the wedding ring is a constant reminder of the vows that you made to each other. So as long as you wear that ring, you remember the vow that you made to your spouse. And what happens next is unbelievable. What happens next is such a beautiful thing that we see in the scripture. We see people that have witnessed this event and they're seeing God's plan unfold right before their very eyes. Listen, I know when we go through a difficult thing in our lives, it's, it's, it's hard not to say, God, what are you doing? How are you going to use this? I just don't get it. But if we've learned anything from the book of Ruth, it's this is that remain faithful to God each step of the way. And God slowly but surely begins to reveal his plan towards us as we trust his word. Now, I wish he would just show us everything right up front, but he doesn't because he knows we couldn't handle it. But we need to trust him each and every day. His word is what? A lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Just enough to take the next step. God knows that we couldn't handle it. He knows that we just need enough each and every day to follow him and trust him. And that's what we see in the chapters of the book of Ruth. And so what we're going to see in Ruth verses 11 and 12 in chapter 4 is God begins to restore Ruth's brokenness and shows how he's going to use it and give hope to Ruth and Naomi and those that are watching. Watch this. This is so, so good. Okay, let's look at verses 11 and 12. It says, Then the elders and all the people standing at the gate replied, We are witnesses! Exclamation point. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all nations of Israel have dissented. This is a This is a big blessing. They're comparing it to Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is a big deal. If you read this, you'd say, wow. This is a huge blessing that they're placing upon Ruth, who is a Moabite, who's supposed to be considered an enemy of God. And they say, and may the Lord give your descendants by this young woman, all who will be like those of our ancestors, Perez, the son of Tamar, and Judah. So what's going on here? Even those that witnessed what Boaz did recognized what God was doing. 
God had a plan. And they're recognizing God's plan. Now you need to come next week because we're going to finish it and we're going to see this plan unfold right before us and how God used it for his glory. How God uses someone's brokenness. How God used what seemed like a hopeless situation to use it for his good and his purposes to accomplish his plan. God will accomplish his plan. Take hope in that. I know, I know that sometimes it doesn't make sense. I know sometimes it's hard to understand. God, what are you doing? But when we entrust ourselves to the will of God, and when we entrust ourselves completely to God, he will work out his plan. Our hope is not what we see here in this earth. Our hope is that God is sovereign, that God will ultimately work out his plan, and we can trust him, and he knows what's best, and the best is yet to come. And so what they did is they spoke a blessing over Ruth. From the beginning, Ruth trusted God with her life. Even when it looked like everything else was against her, she remained faithful. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to connect this to Christ and what Christ can do in your life if you remain faithful to him and give him your brokenness, even the bad decisions that you've made in your life, how God can restore our brokenness and use it for his purpose and for his glory. When everything looked like it was against her, she remained faithful. And this is a beautiful picture of what Christ does for us. What he does is he gives us a hope and he secures our future. He takes, literally takes our brokenness and restores us and he gives us a future. This is the hope of the gospel message of Christ that he comes down. We're going to be celebrating this next month as we celebrate Christmas. Jesus comes into our darkness, into a dark world, and then restores our brokenness by giving his perfect life for you and I. He is our redeemer. Boaz is symbolic of this redeemer that comes to restore what seemed like a hopeless, broken situation. Listen, I don't know what you're battling with. I don't know what trepidation you have because of your past. I don't know if you feel like you can't be used by God because of maybe the bad decisions that you've made or the things that you've done. But when you give your brokenness to God and we give our sin to God, he restores us, he redeems us, he purchases us back from the bonds of sin and now gives us a new life and a new hope. Now, listen to me. It doesn't stop there. I think this is where Christians make a mistake sometimes. I think what they tend to do is we tend to come and we consume, right? We come to church and we, you know, sin, you know, sin under good worship and hear great preaching every week. And I'm just teasing, I'm just teasing. I just want to see if you guys are listening. And, and so, listen, so, but, but God just doesn't want us to be consumers. What God wants you to do is to jump in that plan of redemption for somebody else. He wants you to be part of restoring other people through the message of Jesus Christ, through what he did in your life. He wants to use you to be that person who helps others to become reconciled with a God who loves them and cares them. And this is how he uses it. He uses 
your stuff, all your stuff, all your rough stuff, all your messy stuff, he uses to say, hey, if I can redeem Barden, I can redeem you. And here's how God worked in my life. Not that my life isn't perfect, not that we don't, we don't still struggle with things in our lives, but God takes our brokenness and then uses it for his purposes and his glory. He takes our brokenness, he restores us, and he gives us a future. Listen, here's the reason why we do what we do. Why, why do we do Harvest Feast? Why do we give out Thanksgiving baskets? Why, why do we participate in Angel Tree and, 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 and participate in buying gifts for, for parents who are incarcerated so that their children can have a Christmas? Why do we do those things? Why, why do we care about our neighbor or care about our community? It's because God has called us to help restore other people and it may be through a Thanksgiving basket. It may be through simply just getting a Christmas gift. But it's reaching into people's lives and saying, we love you, we care about you, and there's a Savior who loves you, cares about you, and has given his life for you. That, that's, that's, listen, God wants you to jump in to that part. Not just be consumers, but to be those who help Restore other people back to a right relationship with God. And it may be simply just giving a Thanksgiving basket or, or, or a Christmas gift, but it's participating. It's getting involved in people's life and letting them hear your story, allowing them to hear your struggles and what you struggle with and where your hope is. And God can use you to help someone else to restore their life, to redeem their life back through Christ. That's what makes the church such a beautiful place. That's what I love about the church. Man, if, if you were to get us all together and just share our stories, man, we, we're all over the place, aren't we? All our different stories. And I love hearing people's stories and how Christ has redeemed your life and is now using you for his glory and his purposes. That's what makes the church a beautiful place. Because the place of messy, broken, messed up people who God has restored through his son, Jesus Christ, and now uses us, broken, messy people, through his grace to help other messy, broken people find a savior who gave his life for them. Let's be the church. Let's not just come to church, but let's be the church wherever we are. Amen? So I'm going to pray for you and we're going to close in song, and, and I, don't know where, I don't know where you are today. I don't know just maybe what you know, you're, you're struggling with today. Maybe, you know, maybe you're, you're, you're hung up on some of the things in your past. Uh, maybe you're saying, maybe you're in a situation right now in your life where you're just saying, God, I don't know how you're going to use this. Let me just say this. Just trust him. Don't try to figure it all out. But God is faithful to his word. And speak encouraging words to yourself, knowing that God is for you and not against you, and nothing can separate you from his love. I don't know why he does what he does, but I know he's faithful. And I know we can trust him. Trust him with your life. And each and every day you put your trust in him, 
as you read his word, as you pray, as you trust God with your life, slowly but surely he reveals those things to our heart and our life. But it's all about trust and our faith and something that we don't see. This world is so temporal. It's here one moment, gone the next. But God says, put your faith in something that's eternal, and that's me. And Jesus says, I've overcome this world for you. So take heart. Take heart. Have hope in that, that this world isn't all that there is. And now let me use you in the midst of this world to give others that same hope that you have. So Father God, I just pray for every heart here today. Lord, I just pray, God, that whatever we're going through, maybe it's a situation that we just, we don't know how you're going to use it, but God, we lay it at your feet, knowing that you can use it for your glory. So we give you that, and we just say, God, use it. Help me to be a mouthpiece to other people who need to hear your story. God, I pray for for us here today that, that, God, we wouldn't just simply be spectators, but we would jump, Lord, into what you've called us to do to help others see that their lives can be restored to to a Savior who came to give his life for us. So Lord, help us with that and just use our stories. And I know none of us have a perfect story, a perfect life, but God, you use all of that and you redeem it for your purposes and your glory. And I thank you for that. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for restoring us and giving us a hope that we could never receive in this world. But you give us the hope of heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for us. So I just pray for every heart that you would comfort them, that, God, you would show them that hope in Christ Jesus as we trust you. We love you, we thank you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for just just the story of Ruth, how you restore brokenness and a hopeless situation to use for your glory and your ultimate plan. And we are the same, God. Thank you for using us. In Jesus' precious name, we ask these things. In Jesus' precious name, we ask these things. And all God's children said, amen, amen. Would you stand with me to sing the song in closing? Let it bless your hearts, amen.